Welcome to The Green Rush, a podcast about the intersection of cannabis, the capital markets, and culture. On a weekly basis, hosts Ann Donahoe and Nick Opich of KCSA Strategic Communications speak with the business leaders, financial experts, cultural icons, legislators, and generally interesting people moving the cannabis and psychedelics industries forward. This week is a very special episode featuring interviews from November's MJ Biz Daily Conference in Vegas. Nick Opich went out to Sin City to attend the big show and was able to sit down for conversations with two great guests in Gary Santo, CEO of Tilt Holdings, and Beth Kotarba, Chief Operating Officer over at Native Roots. Nick sat down with Gary and Beth to talk about each of their businesses and how they've evolved over the last 12 months, both in growing their presence in their respective marketplaces, but also in how they've navigated the complex ecosystem that exists in the world of legal cannabis. Both Beth and Gary also provide insights into their thoughts on diversity, equity, and inclusion within the industry, their thoughts on President Biden's push for cannabis reform, and what we may expect to see from both Tilt and Native Roots heading into 2023. So sit back and enjoy our conversation from the MJ Biz Daily Conference with Gary Santo of Tilt Holdings and Beth Kotarba of Native Roots. Oh, and one last quick technical note before we jump into the show. We did actually have a little bit of problems with our microphone uh, during a couple spots in one of the interviews. Uh, You'll definitely maybe hear some of that, but we did our best in cleaning it up. So, um, yeah, enjoy. Thanks, Gary. Joining us today at MJ BizCon. It's so great to have you. How's the show been for you so far? Fantastic. Been running around a lot, a lot vibe here. The- yeah, definitely. The two floors has got me like running all around the conference and stuff, but definitely everybody's good vibes post-COVID, you know? It totally. seems everybody's happy. So, you know, to start off, could you introduce yourself to our listeners and, you know, what first brought you into the cannabis industry? Yeah, so uh, I'm the CEO of Tilt Holdings. I joined them in about July of 2020. Um, I had previously been with Columbia Care. <laughs> I had previously been with Columbia Care uh, and spent about a little over a year there, helped take them public. And, you know, I think cannabis in general was one of those places where I've always worked at companies that were startup companies or transformational M&A. And a buddy of mine said, you've got to look at cannabis. They could really use some of that experience. Mm-hmm. They're just getting off the ground. They're getting lots of money thrown at them. So I got in in 2019. Columbia Care really showed me what it meant to be a methodical operator. Mm-hmm. So I really appreciate my time I spent there. Um, but then landed a tilt, which is in the middle of a turnaround story. So it kind of fit every box you could possibly check. Yeah. Turnaround story, interesting, emerging marketplace, a uh, bit of a story credit in the sense that it's, it's not the easiest industry to explain to people, right? You're taking agriculture, you're taking specialty manufacturing and specialty retail, mm-hmm. and you're putting it all together into one giant pile and then not having any regulatory consistency yeah, across definitely. every state you operate in. So. Yeah, so uh, tell us a little bit more about Tilt. Like you, you, you mentioned you joined in 2020. What was the state of the company when you, you first came on board, and how have you been able to transform it um, since yeah, being CEO? When I, when I joined, I couldn't tell if Tilt was coming or going originally because they had gone public in late 2018, early 2019, and the board just was dissatisfied with the direction the company was going in, and they had one of those crazy wide cannabis mandates. They were mm-hmm. going to do about 15 different things, and they were going to do it with like about $150 million. So they ran out of money six months in, and what the board did, though, that was different is they actually removed that management team and some of the assets that Tilted acquired uh, there were 
were a few really good leaders in there. In fact, one of them is the chair of our board, Mark Scatterday. Mm -hmm. And they went about the business of sort of right-sizing the company. And this was 2019 into early 2020. Yes. Um, as a result, we were one of the only companies, I think, back then who exited that 2019 living on cash flow from operations. We weren't using borrowed money or anything. It was lean. Mm -hmm. um, I came along in mid-2020 to really focus on where is the growth and how are the pieces really going to fit together. Because mm -hmm. stabilizing is only so much of the story. Uh, and that's when we said about, all right, here's where Tilt is today, multi-state yeah. operator with this hardware component. Where do we want to go and where's the market saying we should go? Because we're a little late to the game yeah. having a second act in, was this, mid-2020. So. Yeah, and, and let's talk about, I definitely want to get to the hardware conversation in a little yeah. bit, but let's talk about, you know, where Tilt currently operates right now. You guys have reached into, I think, 36 states right now. but Through the hardware. Through yeah, the hardware, so but then. states and 15 countries through hardware, but plant-touching yeah. operations are in Massachusetts, Pennsylvania, and Ohio, and then we're building out operations in New York through a partnership with the Shinnecock Nation out on Southampton, mm -hmm. Long Island. So. Massachusetts, that's starting to open up a little bit, but those are still, you know, pretty highly regulated states. What's been the experience, you know, operating as a multi-state operator in, in those still medical states? I think Massachusetts is interesting, right? So they, they added adult a little while ago, and I think there it's been more a case of people not reading the market and just saying, I can keep adding grow and keep adding products and the market will take it. Uh, I think I was doing math the other day, and we have somewhere between 250 and 300 dispensaries. And to put that in perspective, wow. there's only 400 CVSs in the whole state. So <laughs> wow. I'm not sure we need that many dispensaries. Yeah. <laughs> um, but more than that, we have all these grows coming online. Mm -hmm. um, and you're now starting to see people shuttering some of their grows. They're dialing it back. They added mm -hmm. all these grow rooms, now they're dialing it back. That one's unique because you only get three retail locations. No matter yeah. how big you want to be, you get three stores and that's it. And you can do adult use and medical in the three. Um, so we're seeing a lot of independent uh, dispensaries start to open up. So I, I, that's, that's been a good market for us. It's been a great place to see how medical products make that transfer over. Uh, mm -hmm. And what does it look like to go from medical to rec? Pennsylvania and Ohio, straight up medical markets. Yeah. And you know, I think they're the regulatory overhang. It's hard to get products approved. Uh, it's hard in a, in a medical environment anyway, but you know I think it's exceptionally hard, even if it's just something as simple as, hey, I was doing this product, I made a slight change to it, mm. can I get that approved, and three, four, five weeks go by, then you want to do the marketing, and you have to share all the marketing materials, another three, four, five weeks go by, suddenly you're in this six-month process. a long waiting game. <laughs> after you've already decided the product you want to make. Right? Yeah. So I think that's the one piece that as they get closer to going adult use, and it looks like, like Pennsylvania, I think the election has given them a little bit of a ramp, if you look Definitely. at you know the governor's seat and also the legislature, um, you know, I think there's a path there. But I mean, I will say this: the regulators work with us. Mm -hmm. You know, I think in Ohio, um, you know, we bring them a lot of products. Uh, I think we, where we up our game is we understand the regs a lot. So when we bring a product, even if it's a brand partner product, yeah, we usually almost know more about the formulation than the brand partners sometimes do. <laughs> so we can lay it all out and we find examples in the literature that's available to show the regulator: Hey, you've already approved this ingredient and that ingredient and this other ingredient. We're just putting them together into this new product. Yeah. And that just helps grease the skids. Yeah. And I think, like, with Ohio being so close to Michigan, you know, I have family in Detroit. You know, we would go back and forth from Toledo and all that stuff. I, they got to be wanting not to lose all that revenue to Michigan with them opening up the dispensaries, right? Completely. So. And I think Pennsylvania's feeling the same thing because you got Ohio on one side and New Jersey on the other side. Yeah. You know, so I think they, <laughs> they would love to be in there ahead of time because Pennsylvania was an amazing market a few years back, right? Mm -hmm. Everybody said how great it was. Yep. It stalled a little bit. I think got a little oversaturated, and you hear a lot about the MSOs only really selling their own products, so closing ranks. Mm -hmm. uh, we've been fortunate with our brand partner strategy that we're bringing brands into the market that these MSOs want. Mm -hmm. So the big guys are actually buying from 
from us, even though you know we're not in their world, yeah. so to speak. So you guys are headquartered in Phoenix. That's where I, I'm at. Yep. Uh, there's a lot of tribes in, in that area, too. Are you guys looking at you know working in other states? Like Oklahoma's got a, a thriving market as well with a, with a large number of nations there. Is that kind of a, a partnership you guys might try and pursue you know, continuously as you expand in different states? I think it's a natural progression. You know, I think, generally speaking, the tribes all work with each other. And as, as each tribe starts to prop up a business, there's an opportunity to then have them work together mm-hmm. and trade amongst themselves. Uh, you know, in fact, you can almost have the first interstate commerce because the tribes are allowed to trade amongst them. Yeah. So, you know, I think there it's a natural progression. Would love to do it and see who is doing what. Not every tribe wants to do the same thing. Yeah. Some want that vertical and create the jobs. Some just want, you know, maybe the dispensary or something along those lines. If they already have casino money coming in, then maybe they're looking for more of a, a lounge yeah. or something. So it's, it's always interesting to sit and talk and hear where they want to go and how invested they really want to be in the industry. Yeah. Well, let's uh, expand on strategy. You know, looking ahead, where where are you guys looking to, to continue to grow? Or is it, you know, just stay solid with where you're at? Like, keeping the business tight, keeping everything, you know, secure. Is that where you're thinking you want to go? Or do you have your eyes on, like, other states or different ways that you want to expand the company right now? So we took a different approach with brands. A lot of brands either get bought by MSOs or do a Mm -hmm. a relationship where they're captive to those MSOs retail stores. With only three retail stores in Massachusetts, that wasn't going to work. So we decided to partner with the brands and and really treat them as if they were our own. So not contract manufacturing. Um, Because most of the time, if you have a California brand coming to Massachusetts or Ohio, Pennsylvania, whether it's the formulation, whether it's how they market it, the packaging, all of it needs to change. Mm-hmm. Just how they sell it, you know, it has to change. And it's been really educational for them to also see how does your supply chain change? Yeah. And what does it mean to be in more than one state? Uh, and especially when you're spread out and the operations are spread out. So we worked together and we were able to sign uh, brands like Old Pal or Her Highness or Heisman with Ricky Williams, mm. uh, Black Buddha, cool. Toast, Timeless. Uh, we just recently signed Coda, yeah. uh, Colorado. Uh, and really, our goal is to build out a portfolio that is that curated third-party portfolio that all the MSOs know they need space for on their shelves. Mm-hmm. So instead of having to go out and find all those, we'll bring them in. And by not buying these brands and partnering, yeah, we give up a little bit of our, uh, our margin. But two things happen. Number one, if they don't pan out, we can switch gears to another partner mm-hmm. and we don't have a lot of money invested. Um, second is, you know, I think it gives us that ability to, to really to really keep an eye on the market and try to figure out what is hot, what's coming down the line, what's working in California. So it's almost like educating the local MSOs what they should be some, uh, selling. Gives them the specialty piece that maybe they don't want to focus on. Um, we don't want to compete with them. So what we the, the key piece for us was, does that strategy deflect the volatility you see in the wholesale market? Okay. And I say 2022 is probably the proof of concept year. If you look at Massachusetts and you look at wholesale and retail prices, you can pretty much watch that trend line go straight down. Mm-hmm. Um, if you then look at where our brand partner products are and where they priced, it's been a straight line. Yeah. So while everything's going down, it's a straight line. Now, depending on the products you roll out, they have different price points on where that straight line is. Mm-hmm. But it proved that because we're finding these brands from hyper-competitive spaces mm-hmm. and they know how to build themselves into a sustainable brand there, bringing them into Massachusetts and Pennsylvania, it's easy for them. Yeah. Um, so our plan was always get a smaller piece of a bigger pie, and that's what's working. So now that that's proved itself out, 2023 is about scaling. So you talk All about right. where to go next. Yeah. I would love to go into some new states. Ooh. You know, our brand partners really enjoy working with us. They've been our best salespeople, as far as <laughs> I can tell, uh, to the point where we have 
a lot of brands that now want to work with us that we have to kind of push back and say, no, we already have pre-rolls. We already have that edible. It's a good spot to be. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to have overlap. I want to respect yeah. the brands that we have in the continuum now. Um, but they've told us, look, if you go into these other states, even though they might be partnered with someone already, mm -hmm. they're ready to work with us. So now it's changed our view on, do you want to go to Florida? Do mm -hmm. you want to go to New Jersey? How about Illinois? What do you want to do? So I think 2023 is going to be that moment where we start to think M&A a little bit more. All right. Awesome. Um, let's let's shift gears. You know, the big news a couple of weeks ago, Joe Biden announces the uh, the pardons for federal convictions of possession. And the bigger piece for me, I thought, was the potential, you know, looking at uh, rescheduling or decriminalizing cannabis. You know, what did you think about that announcement? Did you think that the president went far enough uh, with that? Or, you know, was there something else that you would have liked to see him add to that announcement or to that proclamation? I was pretty skeptical because okay. I remember two years ago hearing all about how we're going to do great things with cannabis. Then he got into office and just kind of forgot all about it. And because we're getting close to the election cycle, I was kind of scratching my head wondering, is this just a repeat? Mm -hmm. And then Schumer running around saying, we're going to do safe things. Yeah. Lame duck. It's going to be great. <laughs> you know, my question to them is, well, you didn't lose the Senate like you thought you were going to. Mm -hmm. You have a little bit of a mandate now because that you know, the, the Republican wave never really mounted. Mm -hmm. um, I think they have to do something now. You know, I think safe banking probably comes across at some level before the end of the year, and who knows what that means. Agreed, On yeah. the descheduling, my concern there is to make it from Schedule 1 to Schedule 2 isn't enough. Mm -hmm. It's got to go to 3 or just get descheduled altogether. And I think that's the piece where the industry's got to come together a little bit more and maybe provide some of that state information and scientific information yeah. to help make that case. Because if all you get is from 1 to 2, mm -hmm. you didn't get anywhere. Yeah. You. yeah, and I think, you know, for the most part, the, the cannabis industry was driven by the medical industry, you know, making those inroads. And for me, I've seen, you know, Arizona flip from medical to, to adult use. And it's like medical's gone totally out of the window. It's only just like if you want discounts right. out of stuff. But I think with the if the president and the, the human health services is able to reschedule it, that could do a ton for research. And that's a really important piece that I want to make sure that like just does not get forgotten from the industry. No, because I mean, psychedelics is going to lap us on that because yeah. they're doing all that medical work. So they're able to show that you could actually make psychedelics a standard of care. They're not shying away from the medical side. I remember when I first joined Columbia Care, it was all white lab coats and medical, mm -hmm. medical, medical in New York. <laughs> and then everybody wanted to shed that. How so we're quickly not it's changed. Anymore, <laughs> why? Both. Yeah. Um, so if you had five minutes with Joe Biden, what would you tell him? <laughs> uh, I would probably say don't let perfection be the enemy of progress. Mm -hmm. that, you know, I think there's an industry that's got momentum building that needs just a little bit of inertia to get it going. Uh, we're the industry that added jobs. We paid our tax bills. We brought revenue in during COVID, during the pandemic and all those disruptions. Um, you just need to help get out of the way a little bit, but nudge us in the right direction and give us... Give us some credit for following through that. If you give us a little bit of safe banking, we won't stop. We'll keep going. Mm -hmm. And if we start taking care of the schedule, if we look at the expungement, it's got, you cannot wipe away 100 years of bad behavior. Yep. Right? It took 100 years for us to screw this up. It's going to take <laughs> more than one piece of legislation to unscrew it up. Yes. You know, I think that's the piece where I would just say, let's, let's get something going and realize it's going to be ongoing. Yep. And, and we're not going to get it right. Yeah, we definitely want to see, you know, family-owned businesses make it a real opportunity for those that have been affected by the war on drugs or just disenfranchised in general, have an actual opportunity to, to enter the industry. And so I 100% agree with you that that's got to be, you know, progress over perfection. Um, one thing that, you know, I'm a PR person, so I'm always reading the news, doing all that. Um, I'm very interested. What is a story in the cannabis industry that you think has been overlooked? Like, if you were going to open up the Arizona Republic or the the, the, the New York Times, and on that A1 page it was going to be a cannabis story, what would that cannabis story be? 
It's funny, it's probably less about cannabis and more about the entrepreneurial spirit. If you think about everything that has been thrown at this industry over the last two or three years, right? You've had the vaping crisis, you had a mm -hmm. pandemic, you've had supply chain disruptions, you have regulators not behaving equally across sides. So you can't centralize your operations, you can't run efficiently. If you, if you operate in more than one state, it's like separate operations. Mm -hmm. I mean, look at all these things. You've given us 280E taxation, where we can't even have <laughs> normal tax. So who knows what people's costs really are in COGS, because we're all managing to that. You know, I think we've survived. Now, maybe that just makes us the business equivalent of a cockroach. I don't know. But, you know, from that perspective, it's like, could you imagine if you could help us a little bit more? And if we, we stop talking about the social side of it all the time, mm -hmm. focus on the fact that, wow, this business, this industry has grown up really fast with every obstacle thrown in front of it that very few other industries have ever had to deal with, let alone overcome. Mm -hmm. I'd like to see more on that front so it starts to be taken as a more real industry yeah. and not this kind of kitschy green wave, yeah. cool, I can buy pot legal. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. You know, there's so many jobs that the industry creates. It's such an opportunity builder. Uh, so, Gary, I got just one more question for you. Um, you know, we talked a little bit about 2023, but, you know, just going forward, what has you most excited for Tilt as you look towards the future? I'm excited for the partnerships we're building. You know, I think whenever you start partnerships, whether it's with Shinnecock, with our brand, you always wonder, is it really going to be a partnership or is it just going to be kind of a licensing contract thing? And either we've gotten incredibly lucky or we're good at picking them or maybe a combination of the two, but all of our partners genuinely enjoy working with us and we enjoy working with them. We have discussions and conversations. We don't have contract negotiations, mm -hmm. right? Where one side's telling the other side what to do. And as a result, we recognize sometimes things don't work, mm -hmm. right? Old Pal wanted to do a brownie. It's hard <laughs> to sell brownies yep. in dispensaries. But then we had a brainstorming session that said, what about brownie mix? Hey. It had been done before, but with oil, what if you could put you know, the distillate in a dried format into the mix so you don't have to worry about the oil? And I think we launched that right before, like last week or something. It's all gone. Uh, <laughs> we've sold out because Thanksgiving's coming, so hopefully there'll oh, be some happiness perfect. on yeah. the East Coast coming from the old pal friends. But those kinds of collaborations, I think, we're just getting started. And mm -hmm. people have such great ideas on where this could go as we watch the whole episodic price and potency of the cannabis market become more of an everyday life additive. Mm -hmm. That's the most exciting part to me. People actually recognizing and just using it as, a, as they would anything else. You know, you go into any other health food store. I've always said, if you discovered cannabis today, you'd have two aisles in Whole Foods dedicated mm -hmm. to it, and no one would say a <laughs> word. But you got the 100 years of prohibition that we have to overcome. Lots still to overcome, but yep. Gary Santo here at MJ BizCon. Thank you so much for joining us on The Green Rush. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Our next interview here at MJ BizCon, Beth Katarba, Chief Operating Officer at Native Roots out of Colorado. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for having me. How's, uh, how's the whole experience been so far here at MJ BizCon? It's fun. It's really been fun. Um, it's, I've been coming for a few years now, mm -hmm. and it's interesting to see how it's grown. We talked about that a little bit. Mm -hmm. It's just amazing the number of businesses now that support the cannabis industry. Mm -hmm. And even just going to some sessions and listening to people, the the people that are involved in the industry and the, just the maturity and the you know quality of the folks that are here talking about it, it's really been impressive and oh, fun. Yeah, definitely. Just walking the floor, seeing this, like a little bit more seriousness to the, <laughs> compared to like 2018, which is my first show. It's like, oh, okay. You got everybody in the full cannabis outfits and stuff like that. You're still seeing some of yeah. it, but you know, not all that. But um, just the interest is amazing. <laughs> it's like, great. Just the number of people here is crazy. Yeah. So uh, let's start off for, for our listeners. Can you introduce yourself a little bit and what first brought you in? Into the cannabis industry? Sure. I, um, I started my career in the consulting business and information systems consulting. And I did that like out of school for 
almost 30 years probably prior to coming to Native Roots. And I've been at Native Roots six years. Okay. In fact, it's almost like could be six years to the day. <laughs> Who knows? I should know that fact. But, I think six um, years is 12 years in cannabis yeah, years, right? exactly. <laughs> exactly. And... Um, so I had worked in my consulting career with a colleague who left to go to Native Roots, and he became the chief revenue officer. Okay. And at the time, we had worked on projects together, and I, I knew him really well, and I just was fascinated. I just found it so interesting, and kind of along the line, not long after he left, I was feeling a little restless. I had done consulting for so long, and a, a mutual colleague said, hey, you need to talk to Ryan, because they're looking for some, some help. Mm -hmm. And so I did, we met and they were needing some operations help, which really wasn't my, like I wouldn't have stood out as a person you would, you know, bring on to run your cultivation operations. <laughs> but as we talked, we realized, you know, what, what I did bring to the table was just a lot of experience in a lot of industries around process, solution development. I had managed a lot of teams. I had done a lot of, you know, organizational growth, business, or um, business development, but also personnel development mm -hmm. over the years. And they were just looking for someone to come in, bring some stability, bring some professional, you know, yeah. business practices in. And, and it was a long process. Um, my husband used to always tell me, well, it's, you know, it's, it's pot years here. You got it. Like, like go really long, but, but it was fun. And yeah, we, we decided that it made sense. And so I came in just over the cultivation operation initially. Mm -hmm. And then after about a year or so, our, our COO moved on to be our innovation officer. And then I, I took over as chief operations officer. So it's a little cool. bit of luck, I think. And just, it's been fun. <laughs> right I place, right it. time. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and let's talk about Native Roots, because sure. you guys have done really well in Colorado. I think you've been operating since 2010. Is yep. that right? Yeah. Um, that's not an easy feat. That's one of the earliest, most competitive marketplaces. You know, what has allowed Native Roots to, to thrive throughout all this? Yeah, we, we are. We're one of the, the first ones in there. And we are also the largest privately held. Most of our mm -hmm. competitors that are large operators, vertically integrated operators, have been purchased by an MSO. So mm -hmm. we're kind of unique in that sense, too. And I think we just have really focused on profitable growth in Colorado. We, um, a few years ago, were, you know, trying to get some licenses out of state, which is really difficult to do for anyone that's tried to do it. And so mm -hmm. we've really focused on Colorado and the customer experience mm -hmm. and, you know, disciplined about how we fund our growth through our cash flow. Mm -hmm. And, you know, really hats off to our retail team because they, you know, they make it happen every day in the stores and mm -hmm. keep our customers coming back and just, you know, trying to keep our reputation and quality and the customer experience high to, to keep bringing people in. And we've fared, you know, pretty well, even through the States had kind of a, a drop off and yeah. we've, we've done really well in comparison to the states. Yeah. Let, let's stick on that, that notion of you guys being privately held. You know, yeah. um, we have a very large investor audience and we often talk to, you know, C-suite executives that are of public companies. But like you mentioned, you guys are one of the largest privately held ones. You know, what's the advantage of being private right now? You know, you're obviously not chasing capital on the on the public yeah. markets. But can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah. I, you know, for me personally, it just has really allowed us to grow at the pace and the scale that we, we want to mm -hmm. and invest in the things within our capabilities that we want to. You just have a lot more control over what mm -hmm. you're doing. It's not as revenue driven. It, obviously, when you have shareholders and you're reporting you know, mm -hmm. that out, there's a lot of different pressures that go with it. So mm -hmm. we've really get to own our, our destiny in a lot of ways of, in how we're doing things. Um, it also requires a lot of discipline and mm -hmm. spend and, you know, because we don't have large pools of investment money to mm -hmm. 
to um, grow ourselves with, but we just have put in processes that enforce the discipline of, you know, you either got to save money, you got to generate revenue, and then compliance. Yeah. So I think that's been our our key to success, and we have a great executive team who works well together. And yeah. Uh, would you guys ever consider going public, or is it like the staying private is definitely going to be the way forward? It's not in our plan right now. I mean, okay. never say never to anything, <laughs> right? But we are just... Trying to break some news here, Beck. Uh, I, I, <laughs> I, I joke, I joke. For you, but, um, <laughs> no, we're just really focused on profitable growth mm -hmm. in, in Colorado and really building our capabilities so when the right opportunities come mm -hmm. along, we're ready to scale up or you know, what, whatever that, that looks like for us. Yeah. Let's stick on scaling up. Cause that, sure. that really leads into the next question. You know, uh, we're coming out of the pandemic right now. We, we were just talking to a lot of people that we know still yeah. do have COVID or suffering with it. You know, can you talk about, I think since that 2020 time, like what have been some of the challenges that you guys have faced in that scaling up and, you know, how have you been able to persevere and overcome those challenges? Yeah, you know, during during the actual, you know, when everyone was locked down, our our business, unlike a lot of others, we were fortunate. We got to stay open. Mm -hmm. We were, you know, essential. essential, which was huge for us. And but it also the, our sales just went crazy, and mm -hmm. so we were expecting things to kind of slow down, and they went the other direction. So keeping um, keeping employees staffed, you mm -hmm. know, at the level of production we were doing was was a challenge, keeping your employees safe, all, you know, all of those things. So we got through that and we did pretty well. And then, you know, as everyone else, we were growing a lot, you know, it was just like grow, 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 keep up with the demand. And mm -hmm. then suddenly things started to level out a little bit. Mm -hmm. So our challenge has been now a little bit of overproduction. So the scale up from a production perspective is interesting because it's almost like to grow, we have to learn how to scale up and down, mm -hmm. which when Manage you're doing with that. plants is very, you know, yeah. it's a long life cycle. <laughs> so you have to really, so we've invested a lot in planning mm -hmm. and working closely with sales on sales forecasting, which it's impossible to, <laughs> it's hard. It's really hard in this industry to forecast because we don't have years and years and years and years of you yeah. know data telling us what we can expect. But um, we focused on that to get our supply and our demand right. So that has really helped us from cost and, and you know, being able to keep those costs down so that we have the cash flow to grow and then trying to get more licenses. So that's yeah. another key part of our, our, our growth, you know, as lotteries come up, new municipalities and just getting market share in Colorado is yeah. kind of where we're focused. Yeah, I was going to say, so is it just Colorado because you guys have like we were talking about earlier, you know, you've been very competitive in a, a highly competitive market. Um, that usually translates well when you want to go into new markets. Is that something you guys are, are looking forward to in the near future? Nothing on the horizon. However, we do always look at the new markets coming on. We have, we, you know, not in the last year or so, we've really focused on Colorado, but we have, tr you know, tried in other states and really mm -hmm. learned what those processes look like. So we're always assessing if it looks right and it's a good match. Nothing that we're trying to do right at the mm -hmm. moment, but... Um, well, I would recommend Arizona. I, I'm, a, I'm okay. down in Phoenix, so it's like, you know, I'm always looking for, for new stuff and I've heard great things about native roots, so... Well, thank you. We, we hope so. We, we are preparing for the day. We're ready to, to do that and do that well. So. Yeah. Um, another really important thing for me that I like to talk about with people on the podcast is DE&I. And I think what you guys do, uh, or not what you guys do, but your, your leadership team, um, it, it's, it's, I think, half uh, women, women, correct? Yeah. And then you guys have uh, quite a few LGBTQ um, people that, that uh, are... 
I'm sure I'm going to mess up the phrasing on this, but, you know, uh, identify within that group. Can you talk about, you know, why that's important for for the Native Roots story to have that kind of leadership uh, in the balance? Yeah, I think that um, we are really proud, particularly of the fact that we have a lot of women in executive leadership and we are a very inclusive culture and we work really hard on diversity and and inclusion and and equity. and, And it's important because our it's important to our people too. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking to like just our our women, um, I have made. I think you have to see. You have to. You know, people have to be able to see who's leading it and see that there's a path to get there for them to feel like they can get there as well. And when I started, I don't know that there were there were no women managers in cultivation mm-hmm. to be sure, and very few. I might have had a, a couple in the production space. And now we have, you know, half of the executive team is our females. In mine, we have our head grower at our LaPan facility is a, a woman. She's mm-hmm. just outstanding. We have bay managers that are women. And I think as you start, you just have to kind of live it. And yeah. I try really hard to, like, build those women up and make sure as we're looking at people for the job, they mm-hmm. are getting their full, you know, mm-hmm. their rightful place. And it's kind of grows and I think as people look and see what they want to be it, it inspires them to stay and to grow and, mm-hmm. and we have committees and things that are working on all of the other um, diversity yeah. aspects yeah I think that's really important you know like a lot of companies you know will give the lip service like yeah we care about these things but if you're actually hiring people that like identify in these ways and, and really can bring that inclusivity into your culture that really, you know, permeates for the long term when, when you actually do that kind of stuff. It does. And, you know, studies and things show that the more diverse your workforce, the better decisions you make. Mm-hmm. You know, when you bring a lot of different opinions and viewpoints and backgrounds and you, you just get better results typically. So, yeah, it pays off. Yeah. Um, let's uh, switch gears and talk about some of the bigger news that's covering in the okay. industry. Uh, the historic announcement, pardons for uh, federal convicted, uh, those with possession. He also uh, asked the HHS to look at, you know, rescheduling or potentially decriminalizing uh, cannabis. You know, what were your thoughts when, when Joe Biden made that announcement? Was that something that, you know, you were really encouraged by or did you feel like he didn't go far enough? You know, I was actually kind of surprised because, you know, everything you heard about Joe Biden was that he, he, he was not going to be, you know, as maybe cannabis friendly as some other uh, leaders that we've had. But I was encouraged by it. I think I think we have to take the wins mm-hmm. that we get. Right. Like, it, it's so easy to say, oh, we would have gone a little further. But, you know, any steps we can take to me are, are positive, mm-hmm. legitimizing what we do, making it easier for us to do business just like regular businesses, because mm-hmm. we are. And in the states we operate, we are legal. Yeah. You know, it is legal, and so we should be able to do the same thing. So I think it's a step in the right direction. Um, I just was in a panel yesterday, and really some encouraging news from some really smart women that are in the know mm-hmm. um, that it looks like banking has got a real shot to get through, which okay. would be just a, to me, that's yeah. almost bigger and helpful as, you know, legalization would be great. That might be harder, but just things like banking make yeah making it easier for people such just to operate to yeah. let us operate. Uh, and, and let's talk about Colorado. I know yeah. that there were some uh, propositions on the on the in Colorado Springs that uh, I believe did not pass, unfortunately. Um, can you talk about those and just kind of maybe give a, an update on where you see the Colorado market at right now? Yeah, you know that was really disappointing to us. We worked really hard. We have some medical stores in Colorado Springs, mm-hmm. and so we were pretty invested in that. And I think it caught 
you know, a lot of us off, a little bit off guard that it didn't. We thought there was, you know, that you just kind of assume that, you know, <laughs> right. people are going to want Seems this. like it's a freight train, like it's coming. Whether, yeah, you know. and, and that's an interesting, it is an interesting market. It is a very conservative market. Mm-hmm. So there's some work to be done there, I think, education-wise, that they, they understand it. So that was disappointing. There were some other... Um, on the the ballot also that it was surprising because Colorado's kind of trended a lot more progressive and a mm-hmm. lot more but yet on some of these things we're still a pretty conservative state so yeah. we will keep we will keep working <laughs> <laughs> um, Beth I got uh, one more question okay. for you but I'm gonna make it a two-parter okay. you know looking ahead um, first what has you most excited for the cannabis industry at all overall you know we've seen a lot of stuff here you've mentioned you've sat in on a couple of sessions so first what has you most excited on that front and then what has you most excited for native roots and what's coming down the uh, for the future for that company yeah you know the the industry overall overall i'm just again excited to see like the involvement in the in the industry and the advocacy and and where it's moving and the states we're seeing more and more states you know um, getting on board and bring mm-hmm. it under their states that has has impacted Colorado in a lot of ways right mm-hmm. like we used to be the place people would come mm-hmm. people can get <laughs> it other places I think that hasn't impacted us but I think overall if if we're gonna grow and legitimate that and you know for for us looking forward to just making the adjustments we've been making to the to the marketplace we last year um, really focused hard not on like growing so much quantity, but really quality, mm. the safety of our product, the variety of our product, the quality of the product itself. And we totally rebranded all of our flower right. lines to have, a, you know, kind of a value line a, our just our staple onyx label and then a gold label, a high end, okay. which we never had. Yeah. So that was like so exciting for us. And I'm looking forward to this next year, just continuing to mature that and bring our, um, we also wholesale products, marijuana infused products, concentrates and vapes and bringing that along with us and growing our market share there. Those are some things. It's been February. I'm excited to take my first tribute to to Native Roots. I definitely will. Going to have some friends in town from New York. So we'll we'll, we'll stop by and uh, excited to see all the new product line. Absolutely. And thank you so much. (laughs) Yeah. Thanks, Beth Kotarba, Chief Operating Officer, Native Roots here at MJ BizCon. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thanks again for listening to our interviews with Gary Santo of Tilt Holdings and Beth Kotarba of Native Roots. If you want to learn more about each of their companies, you can visit their websites at tiltholdings.com and nativerootscannabis.com. As always, thanks for listening to The Green Rush. If you want to chat with Ann, Phil, myself, Chris Crane, Lewis Goldberg, any of us, you can find us on Twitter at the handle at the underscore Green Rush or on Instagram at the Green Rush underscore podcast. Drop us an email at greenrush at kcsa.com. We love your feedback and guest ideas. And don't forget to subscribe to The Green Rush in your favorite podcatcher. That's one take, Shay. One take.